she is wondering flat out what are the healthiest foods that she can eat to help her gut oh gosh where do we even begin um <laughs> there's so many there's so many great choices in my book i talked about an acronym that i love to keep track of my ideal foods for optimal gut health this is how i remember it f goals so fruit and fermented greens and whole grains omega-3 super seeds aromatics legumes shrooms seaweed and sulforaphane those are my f goals those i'm trying to get into my diet as often as possible every single week welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee hi i am the weight loss champion chuck carroll thank you so very much for raising your health iq with us this is episode 62 of season 4, number 257 overall. And it is Doctor's Mailbag Day here on the exam room. And we're also going to be talking about this new concoction that Kraft has whipped up. You know their blue box macaroni and cheese? Well, they are now pairing it with ice cream. Yes, ice cream. Honest to goodness, there is now a mac and cheese flavored ice cream on store shelves. And oh boy, it is about as orange as the stuff that comes right out of that blue box. My question to you is, would you eat it? I mean, think back to before your vegan days. Is this anything that you would even take for a taste test? If you answered yes to this, well, my next question would be, what do you think would happen to you? My uneducated guess, just a shot in the dark here, is that it could lead to the tummy ache of all tummy aches. But we're going to get the answer from a professional. The opinion of our friend, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. And as a gastroenterologist, there is no one more qualified to talk about the effects of Kraft macaroni and cheese ice cream on your gut. And also, as I said, we will be opening up the doctor's mailbag for the author of Fiber Fuel. He's going to be answering plenty of your other questions, including one from someone who was wondering about the top foods overall for gut health. Another person was asking about the preservatives in food. And then an exam roomie asked about eating organic and avoiding the so-called dirty dozen. And if you're not familiar with those foods, those are the ones that are the worst in terms of pesticides. So we're going to be tackling all of that and a lot of your other questions. But before we get going today... I received an email from a listener by the name of John recently, and this email, it, it just meant the world to me. He's using the exam room to learn and become inspired as he works to get his own health back on track. And I think that it would be great if we could all get behind him, rally around him to lift him up as his journey continues. So John, just know that I am pulling for you and keep putting in the work, making those changes. I'm proud of you, my friend, and even more proud that you're working to help others make those changes as well. You're not being selfish about this. No, you're paying it forward and helping others in their health journey. 
My friend, you are already an inspiration. Now then, let's all raise our health IQ and get some new ways to kick our well-being into overdrive. And let's do that with the man with the plan, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He has the healthiest foods for gut health. And do you think that that mac and cheese ice cream will make the list? You shake that magic eight ball and it probably says, Outlook, not so good. Dr. B, how you living, man? I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. Yeah. I I don't even know what to say about the, the macaroni and cheese meets ice cream. What is the world coming to in 2021? I don't know. When it, when I saw this on Twitter yesterday, I thought that it was a joke. I thought that it was an April Fool's prank in July, but no, much like the Hershey's Kisses cereal that I saw on Twitter a few months ago, uh, this is a very real thing, and it is being released this week, as a matter of fact. So uh, I'm just curious, right? So you, you look at something like this, which is a double shot of dare. You've got the cheese the dairy from the cheese, and then you've got the dairy from the ice cream, right? So you put those two things together. That's a whole heck of a lot of dairy. You throw some sugar on top of that. And you know, there's a good chunk of people who are going to eat this and their tummy is just going to start to rumble immediately. So from a gastroenterologist standpoint, I'm just curious, somebody eats this, what the heck is going to happen to their insides, man? (laughs) Well, I don't mean to be too graphic, and I realize that there are some people who are potentially uh, enjoying their lunch as we as we speak. But this, to me, sounds like diarrhea within a container. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm. This is not friendly to your gut. And if you came to my office and complained of digestive issues, and I became aware that you were consuming macaroni and cheese ice cream. Quite clearly, it would be the first thing that I would tell you to remove from your life. So, (laughs) and, you know, Chuck, being a little more serious for a moment, let's talk about the manifestation of symptoms that can occur with a meal. You know, literally just the anticipation of a meal sends our gut into, into motion. It activates our gut. And, you know, for some of us who have digestive health problems, that can actually cause digestive distress. You can actually have symptoms before you even go to eat just in anticipation of that meal. There's something that exists, Chuck, that's kind of interesting. It's called the gastrocolic reflex. And basically stimulation of the stomach can cause stimulation of the colon. And this is the reason why some people, when they have a meal, they will have diarrhea almost immediately after the meal. You're not pooping out what you just ate. You're pooping out what was sitting in your colon, but it's this reflex where the stomach is sending a signal to the colon to make you go. Now, the problem here, as you've alluded to, Chuck, is that this is a very high lactose, also very high sugar, also very high fat product. And all of those things can be something individually that can cause digestive distress for people that are vulnerable, vulnerable people that have your old bowel syndrome or things, things of that variety. And so here we are, this is the, this is basically the perfect digestive bomb to set off those issues. When you combine all of these things into one, not to mention, I probably don't need to say this, but like, I'm guessing it smells somewhere between sweaty socks and stinky armpits. And so <laughs> this is not, 
the kind of dessert that I had in mind after dinner. This is not abandoned ship. Abandoned ship. No, man. This this is this can just be brutal. And then, I mean, you, you mentioned lactose, and then some of the things we've been talking about over the past year on the show is just the high number of people in this world who are in fact lactose intolerant. So if you get somebody who's like at that high end of the lactose intolerance spectrum and they eat this. If you had to put a percentage on the likelihood that they would be spending some quarantine time in the bathroom, what would you say that percentage was? I mean, honestly, the so the, just to be kind of scientific, I mean, we're having fun here. We're having fun here. But let's also be honest with the science, which is that lactose is a threshold event. So there's a certain amount of lactose that your body is capable of tolerating. And lactose, by the way, is a sugar that is found inside of cow's milk. Um, so there's a certain amount that your body is capable and that threshold varies for different people. For example, African Americans, there is an extremely high prevalence of lactose intolerance within the African American community. So they are far more likely to become symptomatic from this kind of stuff. Now, if you stay below the threshold, you won't have symptoms, but if your threshold is low, then even a small amount of lactose consumption can activate those symptoms. And what you're going to get is you're going to basically have a scenario where your body is incapable of processing and digesting everything that you just put in. So it struggles and you get gas, bloating, abdominal discomfort, and diarrhea. And those are the things. And so the expectation is that you throw this lactose bomb into a gut that's not prepared to handle the amount of lactose that you just poured in. And there's trouble. That's that's effectively what's going to happen. And it really all depends on how capable your gut is of processing and tolerating lactose, people who have a damaged gut are far less capable. But at the end of the day, let's make it super simple. Why even do this in the first place? It really, there's no, there's no payoff for you in terms of enhanced health, in terms of enhanced gut microbiome. There's really no reason to challenge yourself with lactose. You might as well just, from my perspective, cut it out. And you know, as I said, Chuck, and I was being completely serious, for people who come to my clinic and they complain of digestive distress, diarrhea after meals, I'll ask them whether or not they consume dairy. And if the answer is yes, that is literally the first thing I will tell them to stop. Mm. And the thing of it is like, and so this is just me kind of reflecting as a former 420 pound guy is that in this country, we celebrate these types of foods, right? Despite the fact that even if you don't, you're, you're not a health nut, like the people who are watching today, like the exam rooms, right? So even if you're not a health nut, you know, if you eat something like this, there is a good chance your stomach's going to get upset. And yet we still continue to celebrate these types of things. It's like, you know, that 12 pound hamburger at some random restaurant in the Midwest. If you polish it off, you eat for free. And we celebrate this. We celebrate those hot dog eating contests on the 4th of July. And it's just literally like destroying our insides. And I don't know, Dr. B, what we can do to kind of change our thinking and what it is that we're truly celebrating in, in, in that regard. Because to me, we celebrate these things and we see the rising rates of obesity and these rising incidents of chronic illness. And it just, they go hand in hand to me. What in the world can we do to shine a light on it for everyone else, man? We have to become conscious of these things. Honestly, we have to become conscious of the fact that, that there are powerful marketing machines that exist out there that are trying to assign positive value to unhealthy things. 
And, you know, this is, I mean, watch commercials on TV, like turn on a sports game. And what are you going to see? You're going to see burgers and steaks. There's no broccoli commercial. There's no kale commercial. They're not trying to make broccoli cool or kale cool. No, they're trying to make it cool to eat a steak or eat a burger, right? They're trying to make it cool to drink beer. They're trying to make it, there used to be that, like there was Joe Camel, right? They were trying to make it cool to smoke cigarettes. And there's an entire process to trying to get out there and sell your product. I mean, at the end of the day, these companies, the, this is the, you know, the uh, reality of the world that we live in. It's a free market. They have CEOs. The CEOs have shareholders and the CEOs are held accountable for profit and loss. And so their goal is to maximize profit because the shareholders will hold it against them if they don't. And so they're going to pull out whatever tricks they can possibly conjure up. And if we fall for it, they win because then we buy the product. And that's the way that marketing works. And so we just have to be smart enough to see that, like, for example, eating a steak does not make you masculine. You know what makes you masculine? Having the confidence to choose what you think is right for your body. That's masculine. Self-confidence is, is, self is an expression of the best version of yourself. And you don't need a steak or a beer or a cigarette or anything else that they're trying to attribute some sort of positive value to. It just, it's silly and we have to be able to see through this. Yeah, you talk about confidence. I always think about that old commercial from many moons ago. So if you're young and you're listening or watching this, you're not going to get this reference. But an actor by the name of Jack Palance used to do commercials, I believe, for cologne. And uh, the, the catchphrase was, confidence is very sexy. And then he would splash them on don't you think? And that always stuck with me because that is absolutely true, man. If, if, if you're confident in something like that is the most attractive quality a person can have, in my opinion. Now, uh, so we've talked about this mac and cheese ice cream and how it's not the best thing for your tummy, but now let's flip the script on this, Dr. B. Let's put a more positive spin on this conversation. Let's say somebody does indulge in the ice cream and it is their awakening moment. Say, oh my God, I'm swearing off the unhealthy food. I want to get going on a healthier direction. So now we have this question from Sarah and she is wondering flat out, what are the healthiest foods that she can eat to help her gut? Oh gosh, where do we even begin? Um, there's so many, there's so many great choices. So let me first of all start off with dessert. You know, it's healthy eating is about sustainability. It's about setting goals for yourself that are actually achievable. It's about making small changes that you turn into routine habits, and then you don't even have to think twice about them. And those small habits start to pay massive dividends over the course of time because you're doing them repeatedly. So let's talk about dessert for a moment. Chuck, in a second, I would like to hear from you. What are some examples of healthy desserts that you personally love? But like for me, it doesn't have to be complicated. Give me some berries. Give me some raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, strawberries. I'm a very happy man. How about some watermelon? Like watermelon is delicious. Take that watermelon couple snips of mint. The mint grows like a weed. So you always got to figure out some sort of way to get rid of your mint once you have a mint plant. So a couple snips of mint, mix that in with your watermelon. Oh my gosh, that is the ultimate summertime dessert. It's fantastic. Chuck, any thoughts on desserts that work for you? Oh yeah, man. I'm a big fan of, of just simple fruit as well. Sometimes I'll pair that with overnight oats uh, that I have in there and it'll be kind of like a cool treat uh, at night or 
or if I feel like breaking out the blender, I'll go with nice cream, all right? Forget this mac and cheese ice cream. You want nice cream. And you make that with just frozen bananas, maybe a little cacao. You can throw in some other pieces of fruit, some greens in there. So it's like really healthy, but it's it's ice cream and it's absolutely delicious. And as a matter of fact, my brother-in-law, I turned him on to this and he is the most hardcore of carnivores, right? So he's like, I could never eat a plant-based diet. It's going to affect millions of years of my mitochondria. It's like, whatever, man. But then I finally get him to try nice cream and it's like his whole life changed or at least his dessert life changed. So that was a victory, man. So nice cream is where it's at. And, nice and let me ask, let me ask you this. Uh, I had a colleague when we were talking about this mac and cheese ice cream yesterday. She's like, well, I definitely wouldn't do that, but I have sprinkled some nutritional yeast on top of my nice cream. And I was like, I don't know how that would pair flavor wise, but sounds healthy enough, man. Would you try that? Would you try the nooch on top of nice cream? I'm not a huge nooch guy. I can see though where people who love cheesiness, like there's people who do nooch with their popcorn, for example, and they're super into it. That's not my thing. I'm more of a savory kind of guy than the nooch, but um, for people who love it, sure, go for it. Be my guest. So let me let me just real quick answer this question though, because I feel like I have done a poor job and I got diverted into a tangent and it's my fault. So let me just to bring us full circle in my book, I talked about an acronym that I love to keep track of my ideal foods for optimal gut health. So I'm going to tell you what they are right now. This is how I remember it. F goals, F as in fiber, fiber goals, F goals. All right. F stands for fruit and fermented. By the way, there was a brand new study, Chuck, came out on Monday from two of my friends, Chris Gardner and Justin Sonnenberg, both at Stanford showing that by adding fermented food to your diet, you can increase the diversity within your gut microbiome, which is a beautiful thing. Fruit and fermented, greens and whole grains. Omega-3 super seeds, I'm talking about chia, flax, and hemp. Aromatics, so I'm talking about the flavor foods, garlic, onions, stuff like that. L, legumes, they're fantastic. They're so good for your gut. They're full of fiber. It's the fiber that makes you have gas. It's because it's good for the gut. And then finally, S, I lost my mind on S. I had a lot that I wanted to say, so I have three of them, all right? Shrooms, seaweed, or I prefer to call sea vegetables. And finally, sulforaphane, basically what I'm saying is cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and particularly broccoli sprouts. That's where the money's at. So fruit and fermented, greens and whole grains, omega-3 superseeds, aromatics, legumes, shrooms, seaweed, and sulforaphane. Those are my F goals. Those I'm trying to get into my diet as often as possible every single week. Wouldn't that be F goals, you know, because you hold it for the three S's? <laughs> like a snake. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, Fiber Fueled, head over to Amazon if you haven't picked up your copy yet. I have I have just seen the light with this book. It's so good. And I've heard from uh, no blow and smoke here. I've heard from so many listeners and so many exam roomies who are joining us today who have read this book and they've just gotten so much out of it. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. If I had a book club, this would be the first book in it. Uh, let's move on. Take a question from Stephanie. Okay, here we go. Can a healthier gut mean healthier skin? Definitely, 100%. But let's first start with recognizing that your skin has its own microbiome, 
which is not the same as your gut microbiome. They serve different purposes. So your skin microbiome is there to maintain healthy skin. Now, that being said, there are ways in which your gut is able to communicate with the skin microbiome. If you've read my book, then you know that in chapter three, I spoke about these amazing benefits of short chain fatty acids, butyrate, acetate, and propionate. And there are studies that exist. I didn't talk about them in great detail in chapter three, but there are studies that exist where by consuming a high fiber diet, feeding our gut bugs, our gut bugs will release short chain fatty acids from the fiber that's within our diet. And these short chain fatty acids spread throughout the entire body, including to our skin, providing benefits to our skin. All right. Now, Chuck, one last point I want to make real quick. We talked about dairy off the top of the show. If you have skin issues, acne, literally the first thing that you should do is eliminate dairy. Literally, that is the first thing that you should do. And let me know how that works out for you. I'm guessing that probably 40 or 50% of you will tell me that you see a dramatic improvement in your skin simply by eliminating dairy. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, I'm, I'm suspecting based off of the comments that you made today that eliminating dairy is the first thing you tell to an awful lot of patients. You know, it's Chuck, it's just being honest as a gastroenterologist, right? And it's, and it's also us just kind of having a conversation. So do I think that dairy is literally the least healthy food on the planet? No, I, I think that that would be an unfair assessment. Um, trans fats to me are like raw sewage poured into our gut. All right. But do I think that dairy is making us healthier? No, I don't. I think that there are far superior ways for us to approach our diet. And so replacing dairy with something else is generally a good choice. Let's go ahead and take a question from America. Let's get healthy at 1213. This is an important one. What types of food would you recommend to a person that had surgery for colon cancer? They are super afraid of eating fruits and vegetables. Slow and steady wins the race. Slow and steady wins the race. Here's the deal. So I was just speaking a moment ago about the benefits of short chain fatty acids. There are multiple different mechanisms in which they have shown that short chain fatty acids prevent colon cancer. There are studies, Chuck, where they have looked at people consuming a high fiber diet after being diagnosed with colon cancer and seeing that they have a better survival as a result of their high fiber diet, okay? So if you have a history of colon cancer, but frankly, like this is not just for the people who have had colon cancer, this is for all of us. This is about prevention. All right. But if you have a history of colon cancer, you need the fiber in your diet. And the only way to get that fiber is with fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. All right. That's where your fiber comes from. So what we need to do is we need to slowly introduce these foods and ramp them up over the course of time. It may take some time. It may require persistence. It may include some bloating. But by the way, Chuck, when you are changing your diet and you get some bloating, that's a sign of growth. That's not to be feared. That means that you are actually challenging your gut and you're asking it to step up and do even better for you. And that's what it's going to do. And so when we introduce fruits, vegetables, whole grain seeds, nuts, and legumes, when we ramp up our fiber consumption, we start low, we go slow, we increase it over time. And what you will find is that your gut microbes 
they will adapt to what you're doing. There may be some bloating and gas along the way, but they will adapt to what you're doing. They will become uh, adjusted to what your new diet looks like. And then they're going to turn around. They're going to pay you back because they're going to start releasing these short chain fatty acids from the fiber that you introduced into your diet. And as I said in the study, they showed reduced, they showed improvement in mortality, basically people living longer after colon cancer on a high fiber diet. And by the way, Chuck, real quick, one of my favorite studies ever is Andrew Reynolds looking and doing a systematic review and meta-analysis of all the benefits of dietary fiber, not supplements, dietary fiber, fruits, vegetables, whole grain, seeds, nuts, and legumes. And in that study, he found that there was not only a reduced risk of colorectal cancer as people increase their fiber consumption, he also found that there was a dose response. So what that means is if you go from 15 to 25, that's awesome. If you go from 25 to 30, even better. You go from 30 to 35, oh my gosh. That's a beautiful thing. We're talking about fermented foods in that study just a little bit ago. Uh, Alfreda at 1222 said, well, aren't fermented foods loaded with sugar and sodium? Would that make them unhealthy? Um, okay, so this is a this is a good question. And the thing about fermented foods is that they are not going to be the backbone of your diet. Okay, you are going to consume them in moderation. There are different types of fermented foods. Some of them do include added sugar. An example is kombucha. I'm sure many of you have seen kombucha in your store. The way you make kombucha is quite simple. You take sweet tea in the southern tradition. You take sweet tea, very high in sugar, and then you ferment it. And the fermentation process does reduce the sugar content, but there is still sugar in there. That's why it's sweet. All right, so kombucha is not my first choice. Instead, I prefer fermented plants. Chuck, the studies speak for themselves. The studies are showing us. There are multiple studies. The one that came out this week from Christopher Gardner and Justin Sonnenberg, my friends at Stanford, there was a study from the American Gut Project that came out just about a year ago where they have shown that fermented vegetables, I'm talking about things like sauerkraut or kimchi or pickles, that consumed the way that we normally would, which is a small amount in moderation, has tremendous benefits for the gut. So you don't need to be like eating bowls of sauerkraut. You just need to eat a couple spoonfuls of sauerkraut and you can get the benefit. All right, let's go ahead and take a question from Lauriston. This is actually one that uh, we held over from the previous episode you were on last month. I thought that this was a great question. Should we be eating organic and avoid the dirty dozen? Does organic have anything to do with gut health? Organic has a lot to do with gut health. So, I, And I think that these questions of organic go beyond us as individuals and human health. So... I, I, let me start with us, which is that there are specific benefits to consuming organic foods. Now, let me say this before I go any further. I think it's very important for people to understand you are always better eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes, regardless of whether they are organic or not. And no one is eating a perfect diet in terms of organic. I am not. Not everything that I eat is organic. Okay. And I certainly understand that organic is also more expensive. And for some people that can be very challenging. We need to be thoughtful about how we do this. But, you know, one of the big issues, Chuck, 
is that by consuming organic, we are reducing our exposure to pesticides. And one of the pesticides that I worry about the most is Roundup. All right, Roundup, which includes glyphosate. Glyphosate is used to kill the weeds surrounding the plants. So a few years ago, one of the big agricultural companies created Roundup Ready products, Roundup Ready seeds, genetically modified so that soy and corn and cotton could be sprayed with Roundup and they still live, but everything else dies. All right. Now, that means that it's in the product. But if it's organic, it can't be sprayed with Roundup. It's not allowed. They're not allowed to do that. Roundup is also used as a desiccant, which means that it, it dries things out. And, and by the way, I should mention, Chuck, very clearly, very clearly, Roundup and glyphosate are harmful to the bacteria inside your gut, which is one of the key points here. Glyphosate is bad for gut microbes. It damages the gut. So one of the other things that they do is they dry stuff out. So like wheat, for example, is not genetically modified to be tolerant of Roundup. They don't want it to be tolerant of Roundup. They want to be able to harvest the wheat, spray it with Roundup, and then the, the wheat will dry out. And now they can use that wheat to do whatever they're going to do with it. Problem is now it has this chemical as a part of it. All right. So if it's organic, it's not in there. Right. So I have a general rule, Chuck, when it comes to which ones I want to buy organic. And then I just, if you don't mind, I'd love to touch on real quick another thought with the organic thing. For sure. But as as a general rule, um, if the skin is thin, buy organic for the win. All right. So if the skin is thin, buy organic for the win. What I mean is if you're eating berries, apples, greens, Things where like literally you are eating the surface. The surface is what gets sprayed. And so that's where I will preferentially buy organic. Now, flip side, if the skin is thick, you don't need the organic, okay? If the skin is thick, you don't need the organic. So like a banana, an avocado, an orange, you're peeling it off, you're throwing it in the trash. Um, lemons, for example, like I think about, gosh, I always throw lemons into my water, like the whole thing, right? So it's something to think about there. All right, so that's my approach. If the skin is thick, if the skin is thin, buy organic for the win. If the skin is thick, you don't have to buy organic if you don't want to. Um, a quick thought that I wanna mention. Our choices, our dietary choices are not just about us. They're about our planet, all right? We are the number one drivers of global warming, and, and ecosystem compromise and loss of biodiversity on this planet. We as humans are the number one cause and it's our choices. And the reason why is because you can say, oh, well, you're just one person, but there are 7.7 .7 billion of us who are making choices and the patterns within those choices have effects on our environment. So for example, when you spray things with Roundup, you're not just killing the microbes in your gut, you're killing the microbes in the soil. If we destroy the soil, how are we gonna grow healthy plants 10 years from now, 20 years from now? So downstream, loss of biodiversity, the Roundup gets into the water supply. They've seen a 40% loss of biodiversity within ecosystems that are downstream and coming into contact with any water where Roundup has been sprayed. 
All right, you're affecting these ecosystems. We are losing biodiversity as a result of that. So the point from my perspective is we're not just eating for our individual personal health. We have to open up our mind to how our dietary choices on an individual basis affect the global health, the health of these ecosystems across the planet. I think it's a very important concept because at the end of the day, the choices of the 7.7 .7 billion people, which by the way, is going to be about 11 billion people by 2050. These choices are the ones that ultimately are going to determine, is this a healthy planet or is this an unhealthy planet? And as a dad, I wanted this to be a healthy planet for our kids, for our grandkids and future generations. There you go, man. Don't, don't get off that soapbox, man. That's important messaging, man. Stay up there. Keep talking. Um, but let's, uh, let's squeeze in a few more questions here. Uh, can we do this uh, lightning round style? You want to go pretty quick, see if we can knock out a few? Let's do it. All right. Uh, first question, uh, is activated charcoal helpful for improving gut health? Somebody's wondering after their naturopath has suggested it for them. It helps people who have gas. It will help to absorb some of the gas. Um, not highly effective. I've tried it in some patients and not really seen dramatic results. So it's not so much for gut health. It's more so that for people who do have gas and bloating, you may see a little bit of improvement with activated charcoal. Uh, Cynthia at 1229, speaking of gas, I get gassy after changing my diet to a plant-based diet. How many months will it take for me to get normal and less gassy? Well, it depends on, it depends on the individual person, Cynthia. It depends on what your starting point is. So it's very common. First of all, it's very common. And this is a sign of growth. As I was mentioned before, it can mean that you're getting better. Your gut is getting stronger. It's becoming more capable. But one thing that you could consider is to meet with a registered dietitian and look at the possibility of reducing the FODMAPs in your diet on a temporary basis and then reintroducing them slowly over the course of time. And you may find that that helps to ease the transition. Annie Wong, also at 1229, are cold pressed juices good for gut health? Well, cold, okay, so cold pressed juices do contain polyphenols on some level, and we are concentrating them. Polyphenols are, you know, things like, for example, resveratrol, we always hear about with red wine. Okay, so that's a polyphenol. Polyphenols, it turns out, actually feed our gut microbes. We don't absorb them naturally, they pass all the way through our small intestine to get to our colon where our gut microbes will act actually activate the polyphenols. So when, whenever you hear people talk about polyphenols, think about polyphenols and your gut microbes because they are connected. So there is some good in a cold pressed juice in that regard, but here's the issue, Chuck. You're throwing out the fiber, and if you're using a lot of fruit, which most commercial cold pressed juices, that's what they do because it tastes good, it's a lot of sugar. So you're throwing out the best part and you're concentrating the worst part and that's not a formula for success. So I tend to prefer smoothies, but if you're going to do cold pressed juices, make them a little bit bitter, make them bitter, mostly vegetables, not so much fruit. All right. Uh, this one is from Lexi 1237. You say when a patient comes into your uh, practice and they're complaining about chronic diarrhea, you suggest taking dairy out a lot of the time, but Lexi says she's a longtime vegan and still suffers from diarrhea. What should she be doing? She's wondering. So number one, uh, our, okay. I, I could Chuck, I could teach a course on this question. All right. <laughs> number one, if you consume artificial sweeteners, get rid of them. All right. Number two, we need to determine whether or not you might have sucrose intolerance. There's an enzyme called sucrase, 
which actually people can be genetically deficient. And I am diagnosing more of this than celiac disease. Yet, I'm guessing most of you who are here probably have not heard of sucrase deficiency, but you have heard of celiac disease, right? That's the hype behind celiac. I also think you should be tested for celiac disease. So to me, in this scenario, I am testing this person for sucrase deficiency. I'm considering testing for celiac disease. I'm considering if it's chronic diarrhea, whether or not it makes sense to do procedures to verify that there is no Crohn's disease, no ulcerative colitis, no microscopic colitis. So basically, like, we need to know what we're treating. That's step one. So let's start with a diagnostic evaluation. The fact that you are vegan is a beautiful thing. But the fact you are vegan does not protect you from the possibility of developing medical conditions, right? It doesn't protect you to the point of being a silver bullet. It's still possible. So let's figure out what the problem is so that we can focus and fix it. And it has nothing to do with the fact that you're eating plants. It's not that you made bad choices. This is the healthiest diet. A plant-based, a whole food plant-based diet is the healthiest diet on the planet. But the, the issue is that it's still possible to have medical issues. So let's figure out what's going on. And two more really quickly. Peter, this is a good one at 1237. How long does food stay in the stomach after you eat a meal? Uh, typically about 50% of it will empty after about one hour and it will almost entirely be gone by two hours. So that's the typical amount. And if it's slower than that, then you may have something called gastroparesis, gastro stomach paresis, meaning paralyzed. We see this in people who have severe diabetes. So particularly type one diabetics who have had uncontrolled diabetes for a long time, you can get gastroparesis. But for most of us within an hour, most of it is already emptied up. Man, stomach works quick, doesn't it? Uh, and final question today, the honors go to Visanth. Will added preservatives in food destroy gut microbiome? There are, so zooming out beyond just preservatives, which is a specific type of food additive, but there are many different types of food additives, Chuck. And th literally the FDA has approved 10,000 different food additives Okay, most of which have been brought into our food system through a loophole that's called generally recognized as safe, GRAS. All right, that does not require human testing. And for the small percentage that have had human testing, it is not long-term testing to know what happens if you eat this food for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? That's not possible for us to test that way. The problem is there's 10,000 of them how do we figure out which ones are the problem? We really don't know. And we didn't do the testing beforehand. We just let it slip in. So the issue is that, Chuck, the more that we learn, the more that we are starting to identify some specific things within the food supply that can be problematic, there is no doubt in my mind that there are some of them that are completely fine. But the problem is that we're just never going to really know which out of the 10,000 are, are like definitely good and which out of the 10,000 are definitely bad. We're just going to know some of that information. The, the simplest thing to do is to recognize that if it includes these things, these food components, that like literally you, you can't make this in your kitchen. It's impossible, right? When it includes food that is developed by food scientists and they spend 18 months putting it together, like... These are not the optimal foods for human health and they never will be. So let's focus on making it and no one's perfect. I eat processed food too. Okay. Just being honest, but let's focus on whole food, plant-based diet. And let's try to max that out as much as we possibly can, because that is the optimal diet for human health.
There it is. And there it is on Instagram at the gut health MD. That's the account that you want to follow the website, the plantfedgut.com. The book is fiber fueled. We have a link in the uh, show description right now. You can pick up a copy on Amazon uh, over at your website, the plantfedgut.com. What do you have going on? How's the seven day challenge going? Seven day challenge is awesome. We've had 28,000 people, Chuck, who have taken the seven day challenge and you know, well, no, man, it's fun because it's like, yo, completely free. <laughs> All you got to do is sign up. You can grab a couple family members if you want, grab some friends, enter your email. And next day, here I am. And we're going to hang out for the next seven days. And I'm going to have you do some stuff that's like, you know, as I said in the beginning, a big part of success is establishing goals that are actually achievable. So when you set unrealistic goals, you're just never going to do it. Set goals that you can actually get to, get there, and celebrate that you got there and then set a new one and keep doing that, all right? And so that's kind of what the seven day challenge is about. Let's let's set some incremental goals over seven days and let's help you actually make a difference in just seven days and feel good about yourself because you've made progress. 20,000 plus people, that is extraordinary, man. You're changing a lot of lives, Dr. B. Doing what I can, my friends. Yeah, I love it so much. All right. Well, we appreciate you being here today. And uh, by the way, housekeeping note, if you're wondering uh, whether or not the exam roomies today uh, would try nice cream with nooch sprinkled on top, we asked that in the chat room a little bit earlier. Overwhelmingly, the answer was no, no <laughs> chance. It just does not seem like it's a it just doesn't seem like it's going to blend very well. So uh, I'm on team no nooch for nice cream as well. Uh, so. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, uh, Dr. B, thank you so much for your insight, your time, your wisdom, and uh, everything wholesome that you bring to the table, man. You were just a delight to have on the show. Chuck, it's always a pleasure. And you are the best Chuck that's ever existed. You are better than Chuck Norris and Chuck Barkley. Thank you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where to go from that. And I still have stuff to talk about. Holy cow. I thank just wanted to throw so you a curveball and see what happens. I well, congratulations. You brought the show to a screeching halt. Thank you, Dr. B. <laughs> <laughs>
But the other nutrition information, the fat, the calories, the sugar, well, when you click on the box where that should be, it's about as blank as a new sheet of paper. But those ingredients, in case you were wondering, I can give those to you. Here's what's in there. You've got cream, milk, cane sugar, egg yolks, and Kraft cheese sauce mix. <laughs> now here's what's in the Kraft cheese sauce mix. You have whey, milk fat, salt, milk protein concentrate, sodium triphosphate, tapioca flour, citric acid, lactic acid, sodium phosphate, calcium phosphate, with paprika, turmeric, annatto, that's added for color, enzymes, and last but not least, cheese culture. So you've got all of that, but fear not, I'm sure you will sleep easier knowing that this ice cream is gluten-free. It says so right at the top of the page. <laughs> Good glory. On a much healthier note, if you are ready to make a change, ready to improve your health, Ixnay, that ice cream. Well, the nutrition-focused plant-based doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center would love to help you out with that. To make an appointment with them, all you need to do is log on to barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. Now, insurance is accepted and telemedicine visits are available, so you can have that visit no matter where you are. And these are the same doctors and dietitians who you've heard on this show talking about Dr. Jim Loomis and Drs. Vanita Rahman and Jasmine Sardana, and then dietitians Lee Crosby, the Fiber Queen, plus Susan Levin and Maggie Neola. All of them are so kind, so nice, and they just want so much to help which is helpful because they know so much about what it takes to achieve your health goals. So lean on them. Let them be your guide on this health journey. 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org to make that appointment and get a full list of states where services are available. And for today, that's going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the belated birthday boy, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>